You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. My name is Bryce Matthews, and this is the Deep and Lonely Podcast presented to you by Houndsman XP. During this podcast, we will dive deep into what makes the ultimate, top-level, and unmatched extreme competition coon hunter. We will hear stories of old, tales of today, and we will dive deep into what separates the men from the boys. The stories will be raw, the truth will be told, and the camaraderie will be second to none. Pull up your chaps, it's about to get deep. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Deep and Lonely, presented to you by the Houndsman XP Podcast. Today, we are going south. We are going all the way down to Alexandria, Louisiana. We're going to make a pit stop at Crossroads Animal Emergency Clinic, and we're going to have ourselves an appointment with Dr. Bronk McDaniel. Bronk, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Hey, I'm not too bad. Guys, for those of you who have listened to the previous episodes of Deep and Lonely, you might recognize that recognize that name, Do, uh, Dr. Bronk McDaniel. If you listened to our episode we did with Duel Murphy, you might have caught in on that. Uh, Duel was in a bad wreck a couple, well, I guess it was last year, and Bronk happened to be the other person in that vehicle with Duel. So we're glad that both of them come out on the good side of that. We're glad to have both of them here. And Bronk, we are excited to have you sitting down with us today to talk a little bit about some veterinary topics uh, as well as some competition hunting. So you ready to get this thing going? Yes, sir, I am. All right, man, I'm excited about this. So guys, Me too. Let, let's start this off. Farm store vaccinations. It's something that we've all done. We've all went to Tractor Supply. We've seen them in the cooler in the back. Are those farm store vaccinations the same as veterinary prescribed vaccinations, and do they have the same effectiveness? Um, the short answer to that is yes, they do. Um, I guess the the dilemma with the farm store vaccines is you got to make sure that they were stored correctly, shipped correctly, and then you take them home and give them correctly. And if all three of those things are done then honestly, they're the same thing that we use at the vet office. Um, the negative side is that, of that is you don't know how those vaccines were shipped to tractor supply or to the form store, and you don't know how long it took them to put them in the refrigerator. You don't know what happened after they were in there. Did the power go out for two days? That is a negative. You don't know what happened. Now, once you buy them and you, as long as you take them home, you mix them up and you give them within that 30 minutes of being mixed, um, then they work the same way. Um, but us as veterinarians, you know, a lot of people think we just want to make money on it. And that's why we want people to do them through us. But to be honest with you, we really don't make much money on the vaccines. You know, they charge a little bit more than what it costs them to buy it. 
but they, you know, the vaccines and the puppy shots and all those kind of things are one of the least amount of money makers for a regular veterinarian. Now, I own an emergency vet, ho vet hospital now, so I don't do any vaccines where I'm at now. But, you know, I owned a day clinic for a while before I sold out. Um, and so I did a lot of a lot of vaccines there. So I know kind of all about that side. But um, I guess I tell people the, the negative, the biggest negative to form store vaccines is the guarantee with it. If you come into my clinic and I give your dog vaccines at six weeks, nine weeks, 12 weeks and 15 weeks old, like they're supposed to have, that is what the drug companies and vaccine companies require for your dog to be fully vaccinated is four sets every three weeks, starting at six weeks old. As long as you do that a week after that 15 week set, so at 16 weeks old, they are considered to be fully vaccinated. And if that dog was to ever catch Parvo, distemper, lepto, rabies, Bordetella, any of the things that we vaccinate for, you know, the drug company that does the vaccines, they actually will pay all treatment associated with that disease. So if your dog catches Parvo at 18, 18 weeks old and has to be hospitalized, most Parvo treatments, you know, thousand to two thousand dollars. I mean, it's expensive, uh, and that company will give a a maximum, usually two to three thousand, is what they do to treat your dog for parvo. And so, basically, you will get your dog treated for parvo for free. Um, form store vaccines, the, the companies don't recognize those as a guarantee because they were not given with a by a veterinarian first off, and secondly, um, they don't know if they can trust that form store to have stored them and put them up correctly. You know, it, it gives a vet a bad name if all their vaccines go bad and their dogs get parvo. And so it's just one of those things where I tell people, look, if it's a dog that you really care about or if it's a dog that's going to be expensive to you and worth some money, you're better off getting all that stuff done at a vet office so it's on file and you're protected and the dog's protected. Is, is that protection uh, nationwide? Is that all across the U.S.? Yep. It is. Yep. Every vaccine company has a different guarantee, um, but majority of them are all the same. You know, after you do those vaccines, you have uh, basically when that rabies is done, which is on that last set, usually 15 weeks old, 12 to 15 weeks old, one of those sets, um, you're required to do another one in the year. Now, depending on where you are in the nation, some clinics do every three years as far as a seven and one after that first pup be said in the first year old shot after that it'll go to every three years and then some places the rabies is every three years bordetella which is kind of that most people know it as it's an every year vaccine you know once a year uh where we're at where i'm at in louisiana uh we don't have a ton of rabies you know um cases i would say uh, so it's actually once you do the first two it goes to every three years and where i'm at the seven and one eight and one five and one whatever your your clinic does it's a once a year vaccine because where I'm at there, we're endemic with, um, right. With, a uh, parvo and distemper and lepto and all those things. So it's a, it's an every year vaccine for the rest of their life. Now you can do titers on them when they get old. If you say, look, my dog's 10 years old, had vaccines every single year. I don't think he needs them anymore. Your vet can pull blood, send it out and they run a titer on the dog's blood to say how protected that dog is from parvo and distemper and lepto and all that. So I have some of my owners that will do that as these dogs get older because they don't want to put anything unneeded into the dog. The problem is the titers are expensive. 
Um, and so you spend more money doing that than you do just going ahead and vaccinating the dog. Okay. So honestly, I tell people don't mess with the titers um, unless you are one of these people that are against vaccines. I wouldn't mess with the titers. I would just do your rabies um, by law. You know, they got to have a rabies and every where I'm at, it's called parishes where most people are as counties, but you got to go by the county law or the parish law where I'm at. It's once a year for the first two years and then once every three years after that. Houndsman XP Podcast Network is sponsored by Onyx. The most comprehensive mapping system in the world is available by going to onyxmaps.com and downloading their app. Several subscription offers there. Highly recommend you use an Onyx. And here's a true story for you. We've all got that spot where when we turn our hound loose at night, they're going to head that direction. Well, the other night, my hounds headed in a direction for that property that had recently sold. I had no idea who owned that property. I simply opened up my Onyx app, found the landowner information, cut the dogs off, and the next day, I went to their house, and not only did I get permission to hunt there, I think I made some new friends. They are beef farmers, and they do not like raccoons running through the feed bunks, leaving their mess behind. Yeah. Go to onxmaps.com and download the app today at checkout. Make sure you use the promo code HXP20 and get 20% off. When you join us on Patreon, you will get a discount code for a deeper discount on Onyx Maps. Know where you stand with Onyx. We've, we've got a new pup, and we're going to go through and give it all of its vaccines. What are the vaccines that you're treating that pup for when they come into your clinic to ensure, you know, they get the best start at life? Especially those guys running, yeah. you know, running So at six weeks old, they do, yeah, at six weeks old, uh, we do a five-in-one um it's got like parvo distemper corona and that kind of stuff in it um and that's at five that's at six weeks i'm sorry not five weeks that's at six weeks and nine weeks and then at uh 12 weeks and 15 weeks we do um it's called an eight and one or nine one it's got a leptospirosis in it. Lepto is bred by rats and uh we stopped vaccinating for years and then Hurricane Katrina came through 15, 20 years ago and we started seeing lepto cases again. So they kind of put it back into the rotation. Uh, but that's one we call it a core vaccine. So six weeks and nine weeks they get a five in one um and or four in one, whichever one your vet does. And then at twelve weeks and fifteen weeks they get a, a seven one or, or an eight and one. Um, we do Bordetella, which is a kennel cough, and it kind of depends. They have an injectable version, they have an oral version, and they have an intranasal where it goes in the nose. Kind of depends on which one you do. Most clinics where I'm from does the, the intranasal one, and it's a one-time vaccine, and then it's once a year after that. So you don't have to booster it at all. Uh, rabies, most clinics do at the 16-week or 15-week mark. Um, some clinics where I'm at does it at the 12 week mark, but they have to be at least 12 weeks old to have that rabies vaccine. And then it's once a year or once every three years after that. Now, rabies, the reason we do it at the clinic I owned for a while at 15 weeks is because we get a lot of stray puppies in, um, and we really didn't know their birthday. And sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between a 12 weeks old and a 15 week old puppy. So just to be safe and make sure that they're not 10 weeks old when we give them the rabies, we wait until that last set. And that also generally makes most owners come back for that last set. A lot of owners slack off after that second or third set and don't want to do that last set. Um, so with them knowing they didn't get their rabies yet, they're more likely to come back for that last set if they hadn't had their rabies. 
I got you. So uh, one of the other things that I've been given my dogs that my vet recommended was the distemper shot, since they're um, you know mainly going to be hunting raccoons, and then also yeah. a, a Lyme's shot to help prevent against yeah. the tick disease. Yeah. So Lyme, that's what generally makes it a nine-in-one. Where I'm at, we don't have Lyme disease. Uh, but we meet, with me being in the hunting world, I've learned a lot about Lyme disease recently. Uh, I've got uh, I've got three dogs now, three hounds basically now, and uh, you know one of them when I when I got him, he was positive for Lyme, Ehrlichia, and uh, anaplasmosis, so he had everything because somebody wasn't taking care of him correctly, I guess. Um, and you know, it, it's one of those deals where. Where I'm at, I don't even we don't even carry Lyme vaccine. We special order it for somebody that travels to the East Coast or to the you know Midwest or something like that. But where I'm at, kind of Gulf Coast region, we really don't have Lyme disease here where I'm at. But with these hounds traveling all over the country, it, it's one of those vaccines that's normally um, it's either by itself or it's added in with the eight and one. Um, and it's kind of the same deal. You do it twice. You know, you do it at 12 weeks and 15 weeks usually. Um, to get it. It's not as good a protection as Parvo and all those, so it's not a fail-proof meth- method. I know dogs that have got Lyme vaccine and still got Lyme disease, um, but it's better than doing nothing for sure. Yeah, so while we're and on the... Stemper, that the stemper, that the stemper is in the 5-in-1, 4-in-1, 7-in-1, that's one of the core vaccines. It's in all of those. So when I say 5-in-1 or 7-in-1, 8-in-1, it has a distemper vaccine in it. Okay. It's eight different things in there, and distemper is one of them. Gotcha. So, well, I mean, we're right here. We're on limes and Erlichia. That's a big thing here where I live uh, in Indiana. I know a lot of dogs yeah. that have it. What are some of the things we can do other than that um, vaccination, which is not 100%, what are some things we can do to help prevent those tick-borne diseases? The problem with those tick-borne diseases, and I've dealt with it myself on my personal dogs, you know, your two best options is called Brevecto and Sympericotrio. Those are, are regular Semperica. Those are your best options for tick-borne diseases. Now, m- those medicines are labeled that the flea, the tick, technically doesn't have to bite the dog to to die from it. And so, the theory is that the dog, the flea, get, the tick gets on the dog, the flea gets on the dog, all that stuff, and it kills those those parasites before they fed enough to inject that disease into the dog. Um, you know, I've always used Brevecto until here recently. Uh, I use Brevecto, which is a three month flea and tick peel. Uh, and then I used heart, uh, pro heart, which is a six month or you can do a 12 month version of the, for heartworms. Um, the problem with the Brevecto and I've in the last couple months, I've switched to some trio in my dogs. The Brevecto, there's there's four or five different major ticks that we see. Brevecto is labeled for 12 weeks. It will kill, you know, repel whatever ticks for, and fleas for 12 weeks, so three months. One tick, and I'm, I'm, I'm not for sure exactly which one, but I think it's a long star tick. It is only killed by Brevecto for, for two months. It's guaranteed for two months, not three months. And so my handler has told me over the last couple months that he is finding ticks on the dogs, uh, after that second month is up and after I got to looking at it and researching it and thinking, I was like, well, that's because it doesn't kill this one tick, but for, for eight weeks. And so we had switched because my, my, my best dog, Jed, was diagnosed with very light positive Lyme disease uh, a couple months back. 
um, after being on Brevecto. And so we switched to Semperica Trio. Uh, you know, my dogs are handled by a guy in Kentucky, Jason Daltrey, and I can't get up there often. Sometimes I'm, I'm six months before I see him. And so it's hard for me to get up there and give him the pro heart shot. So he said, look, I'm good about giving medication. Uh, I remember to do it every month rather than every three months. It's going to be easier for me to do it every month. And so we switched them to Semperica Trio. Uh, Semperica Trio does heartworms, it does fleas, and it does ticks, and it does a whole month. Okay, so instead of doing the flea and tick pill once every three months, we do it every month now. Um, but it is guaranteed to kill all three of those four, you know, all four of those major lines of ticks for the whole month. And so I expect that we're going to see less and less ticks on the dogs now that we're on something that's going to kill them for the whole month. Yeah, so if they're on a Semperica Trio, say you've got your dog on it and they've been on it for four years, it, does that vac or that pill and that prevention become less effective? Do the dogs build up an immunity to that? Should a guy switch them every once in a while? So, so technically, all drugs, there's going to be some immunity, uh, you know, some breakthroughs with it, and we have which is why I use ProHeart on my dogs for years, uh, HeartGuard, which is ivermectin, and then just straight ivermectin, which is the cattle and pig dewormer people use on dogs a lot of times, especially hunt dogs. Um, you know, uh, Interceptor, which is another heartworm pill. All those pills have been out 20 or 30 years. And so there are resistance issues to most of those pills. And on a, on a daily basis, when I was a regular daytime veterinarian, I would diagnose a dog with heartworms that I could look back in the records and I can see that my, this, this dog was given that pill every, I, I sold it to him. I'm not saying they gave it, but I sold it to him every single month for two years straight. And the dog was negative for heartworms one year and the next year it tested positive. And so they started doing research on these dogs in these cases. And they finally found that there's resistance issues where some of these dogs are getting heartworms despite being on heartworm prevention. And so um, in horses and cows and all this, they do a lot of this rotational worming where they'll use Quest one month and they'll switch them to, to you know, uh, uh, Proziquanil and then they'll switch them to, to something else. You know, they do rotational dewormings on cows and horses a lot because of resistance issues. We really don't see that quite as often in dogs. Uh, we don't really see that in the Brevecto and Sepercon Trio yet, but it is coming. Um, to answer your question, it probably won't do you any good to switch every two or three years because just because you switch doesn't mean your neighbors right by you switch. And so those fleas and ticks and all that stuff are going to cross back and forth. And after a population of fleas have been exposed to the same medication, same treatment over and over and over and over for years and years and years, their bodies are going to eventually find a way around it. Same thing with bacterial resistance, antibiotic resistance in people and all this stuff. That's why vets have been blamed for years and years on causing all this, you know, resistant uh, drugs, you know, resistant bacteria to all of our antibiotics is because they say vets overuse antibiotics. And we as vets and as human doctors have to be careful on how often we prescribe antibiotics because the more it's prescribed, the less likely it is going to work in the future. And so as time goes on, they're going to come up with new ones. Semperica Trio is pretty new. Regular Semperica, which is just a flea and tick part, is pretty new. Provecto is pretty new. You know, back when I got out of vet school in 2008, you know, we had Comfortis had just come out. It's called Spinosad. It, it just did flea only. 
frontline and advantage. I'm sure most people remember those. Those have been out for 10, 15, 20 years before I got out of vet school and they just don't work anymore. I mean, you can put that on a dog and the fleas go up there and drink it like it's water, you know, because it just doesn't work anymore. Um, so eventually that's why these companies are, are always coming out with new medications is because eventually it's not going to work. But to be honest with you, in, a, in that dog's lifetime, it's probably okay to give that dog the same flea and tick pill forever until that population of fleas becomes immune to it. So it's not the dog itself making it, it's that population of fleas and ticks that are there. The Houndsman XP podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsman of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsman. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this made-in-America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say made in America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms, fueled by Joy. You know, a lot of our listeners run big, large packs of hounds. You know, they're big game hunters. They're running big game. They're running hogs, coyotes, all that. Those types of preventions can get expensive and they can be costly every month at $30 a pill. So, you know, some of them go and they do the Ivermec themselves and, or they look for alternative methods to treat their dogs for simply just for cost savings, not because they don't care about their hounds. It just hurts the pocketbook. What, what are some things that we can do maybe to help ease that load? And, you know, even if it's not easing the load, is there a good reason why we should stick with these vet prescribed pills rather than doing it ourselves? Like, is there a benefit for us maybe in the long run? Yeah. Yeah. So the good news about like, uh, especially heartworm stuff, you know, the flea and tick stuff, not so much, but the heartworm stuff, like the, the pills, interceptor, heart guard, trithexis, you know, all these heartworm pills and even pro heart and all them now too, they all have a guarantee with their product. So if, your dog is current on heartworm prevention and it was tested negative before you started and then you do it and you can you can show that, that hey i did the pro heart six every six months at my vet office and your vet keeps records and all this stuff or pro heart 12 which is a 12 month shot you show that you've taken you know you did your part basically that drug company gives a guarantee with their product that your dog is going to stay heartworm free and if it doesn't most of them. I've had some trouble with some of the companies like Trifexis. That's why I don't recommend it. But most of the companies, especially ProHeart and Trio and all those, they're newer. And so if there's a dog that comes up heartworm positive, they'll give your vet um, a, a stipend, basically, to treat your dog for heartworms for free. And so I've over the years, I've had a bunch of them, not ProHeart and not Trio yet, but uh, the Heart Guard and Interceptor dogs and all those that the drug companies wrote me a thousand dollar check to treat that dog for heartworms for free. And then they go ahead and they give that owner a year supply of the prevention free as well. But in my opinion, I always tell these people, I'm like, take that prevention and sell it to somebody else because obviously in your dog, it's not working. So why would you give your dog that same prevention that it already got heartworms on? So that was, that's my biggest, I guess, 
pet peeve about the heartworm side is that I'm not keeping my dog in the same prevention that it got heartworms on in the first place, you know? So, um, that is the plus to doing it through a vet office. Now I myself grew up with hog dogs. Uh, I coon hunted my whole life, squirrel hunted, uh, ran deer dogs. I mean, anything you can think of dog wise other than like bird dogs, I didn't have a duck dog, anything you think of other than like a quail or pheasant type dog I've had. And, uh, we have done everything as far as flea and tick and heartworm prevention, but for these big game hunters and these people that run, you know, 20 or 30 coyote dogs or 20 or 30 pack of deer dogs, I tell those people to give those dogs ivermectin. Okay. There's no guarantee with it, but it's going to work most of the time, as long as you give the right dose and it's safe. Um, but if you don't give the right dose, I've seen dogs die from it and you got to make sure you give it every month. Um, I see dogs at my emergency clinic that come in dying, coughing up blood and all this stuff because the dog was heartworm positive and they decided to start it on, on ivermectin. You really can't do that because it's going to either kill them or it's going to cure them. It's going to kill the heartworms and kill and, and cure, cure the dog or it's going to kill the heartworms and kill the dog. So that's the negative to doing the, the, the ivermectin route. But if you can test your dogs and make sure that they're all negative when you get them, and then start them on the ivermectin every single month, uh, it's okay. It's better than doing nothing. Um, one out of 10 dogs will probably still get heartworms while they're taking the ivermectin, but one out of 10 is better than 10 out of 10, which is what's going to happen if you don't do anything. Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> we've got we've got our preventions as puppies. We've went on to heart guard, flea, and tick prevention. Another big topic in the hound world is thyroid. Oh, my dog, he's not performing. He's got thyroid issues, yeah. you know. Sure. Let, let's dive into that a little bit. Let's take a deep dive into that. For, let's start with, okay, is there an, an age where a dog is, okay, they can possibly have thyroid issues? Because I've heard that if the dog's under three years old, they can't have thyroid issues. Is that true or false? Uh, I would say that's false. I've seen it in as young as a year old. Okay, They're, they can have congenital hypothyroidism. Um, that's not a hound thing normally. Um, and I'll be honest with you, it's going to make a lot of people mad probably. But most hypothyroid uh, hounds are not truly hypothyroid. Okay, that's our way of making an excuse for that dog of being, you know, poor doing basically. Right. Um, now, not saying it's the owner's fault, not saying it's the vet's fault, but in my opinion, that hypothyroid dogs, if you look it up and you research it, hypothyroid dogs are fat, they're lazy, they're, they, no matter if you put them on a diet, they don't lose weight, they pant a lot, and they're just, they're just poor doing all, all in general. You don't see many hounds in general that are fat. I mean, they get their guts ran out, uh, and, and to be honest, they are not generally hypothyroid dogs, okay? Most thyroid disease, thyroid illness in hounds is probably the most overdiagnosed thing, kind of like ADHD in, in kids. You just let those kids grow out of it. In my opinion, most of them are going to be okay. You know, same way with those dogs. Most of the time, if you diagnose a dog with, with hypothyroid, it's probably because its thyroid is low. It's not, a vet, it's not a vet being wrong. There's something there making that dog's thyroid low. Okay, all these tick diseases we just talked about, that is probably the most common reason for a dog to have a hypothyroid uh, like illness is tick disease. 
Okay, in dogs, honestly, as a vet, you're not supposed to test a dog for thyroid disease if they're sick from any other reason. It's called a non-thyroidal illness. Any dog that's sick is probably going to have a low thyroid, and that's not your primary problem. We call that a secondary problem. So a lot of times, if you put them on thyroid medication, it's going to make them better. It's going to make them feel better, but you didn't fix the underlying issue. So it may only last for a week, it may only last for a month, it may only last for a year or two, but that dog is going to eventually get sicker until you find out the underlying issue. One of my personal dogs, you know, we ran a thyroid on him because I'm like, look, this dog used to be legit and he's not no more. All these hound people think that thyroid is is, is the end-all, be-all of a, of a dog issue. So let's run a thyroid test on this dog and see. And this dog tested low normal. That's what you find on most of these true thyroid dogs is that they're not true thyroid. It, when it says low normal, that means that dog has some other illness. And then when I tick tested this dog, he had every disease known to man that a tick would, would give. And that's why this dog was showing low thyroid. And it was like a 0.7. It wasn't even super low. You know, normal range, and it all depends on what machine you're using. And if you're doing it in the house or you're sending it out, um, but like one to two or one to three is a normal thyroid range. Um, you know, less than 0.7, they consider true hypothyroid disease. 0.7 to 1 on my machine is what they consider in the gray zone, where that dog may be thyroid, you know, hypothyroid, or it may be that it has a non-thyroidal, you know, hypothyroid illness. Um, and so, in my opinion, you got to dig deeper and you got to find that the dog is healthy from all other aspects before you say, my dog is truly hypothyroid. Because once you start them on thyroid medication, their body's going to get used to having that medication, and it's hard after that to ever take them off of it. If you take them off of it, they're going to go downhill quick because their body's gotten used to that excessive thyroid supplement that you're giving them. And so it's, it's probably been the killer of a lot of dogs, you know, uh, their, their career, basically, by putting them on thyroid medication unneeded and then take them off of it. Um, you know, been a lot of good dogs probably got shot and euthanized because they wouldn't perform after they'd been taken off of their thyroid medication. And it's not because they were truly thyroid, but it was just because their body got used to it. Right. So, okay, let's say that we've got a dog who, you know, like you said, he's legit. And all of a sudden, he's not legit. Is that something that we should be looking at? Okay, for two weeks, the dog's not acting the same. Let's, let's run a test. Or is it something that, okay, it's been a month and he's not acting the same. Let's run a test. Yeah, what are the signs? Run you should run other tests first. So you shouldn't even, you should never run a thyroid test on a dog like that until you've exhausted all the other reasons. Tick diseases is your first one you should do, depending on where you are and where the dog's been hunting at. But you should run a 40X test on him, and then you should also send out a, a tick panel. You know, most of a lot of the vets I've ran into, you know, with, with my handler bringing them to other vets, you know, when I'm, when I'm not available to get to them, they want to run a 4DX test only, and that's going to tell you positive or negative, but it's not going to tell you that the dog's actively sick, like Jed. You know, I'm, I'm currently waiting on um, a, a, a panel to come back on his Lyme disease because the vet that we originally took him to in, in Kentucky um, wanted him to be started on Doxy for 30 days. 
days. Well, as most of y'all know, when you start doxy for 30 days, they got to lay up for 30 days, if not 45, because there's something, and I never knew this before I started the hound deal, something with that doxy kills their smell. They don't, they, they can't act like they smell a coon at all. They won't, they'll run all night long and never tree and never even make a bark because they can't smell. That doxy does something to their smell and their ability to, to track something. Um, but they wanted to start this dog on doxy. And I told him, I said, look, did y'all run a, a quant value on him to see what his, his you know, line value was? And they said, no, we don't generally do that. We just treat them with doxy. And I said, yeah, it's a different situation. I said, this dog's got a lot of big hunts coming up. I don't want to lay him up for 45 days for no reason. Uh, I said, so I want to, I'll bring him back home with me and I will, I'll do a quant value on him. And I'm, I'm waiting on that quant value to come back. You know, they, they do a quantitative value on the Lyme disease. If it's 30 or greater, that means it's an active infection and the body's not going to take care of it on its own. And you got to treat him with doxy at that point. If they are less than 30, that means more than likely the dog is going to clear that infection on his own and he's going to test negative in 30 to 60 days. And so on those dogs, I don't run doxy through them, you know, unneedingly because doxy is one of the few drugs that we have that will treat alichia, uh, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, uh, Lyme disease, and all these other tick diseases that we see in these hunting dogs. So we don't want to exhaust, you know, doxy for no reason. So I would never, I would never uh test one for hypothyroid until i've done at least a 40x test and full blood work to check a cbc chemistry panel electrolytes um and then also a tick panel sent out you know because it's going to test for other things that that 40x can't test for that 40x test for three tick diseases and a hot and hotworms and there's a lot more tick diseases that these dogs can get. And plus, it doesn't tell you the difference between the Ehrlichia species. You know, there's multiple different species of Ehrlichia that these dogs get, and they all act differently. Um, and same thing with anaplasmosis. You know, they're, they're different diseases, and they'll cause different things. Some of them are respiratory, cause them a cough. Some of them are blood-related, it causes them to get anemic. Um, and so you got to do all that preliminary work, basically, before you would ever test that dog for for thyroid and if he tests positive for any tick disease or anemic or anything on his blood work is off thyroid test is going to be unreliable and unneeded at that point you got to clear everything else up and then test him for thyroid if he doesn't get better once his blood works better so i've heard you say something a couple times here and it interests me you said you know you've learned a lot since you got into the competition hunting um, especially about the tick stuff And, and you're a vet you know you're a doctor you went to vet school that leads me to believe that, you know, maybe some of these vets that we're taking our dogs to, not that they mean, they don't mean well, maybe they just don't know what we're dealing with. So yeah. what is a person supposed to do if they, their dog is displaying all these signs of something's not right and you want to run all these tests on them? Is, are these terms that we can take into, you know, our local vet and say, hey, I want to check for A, B, and C. Can you do that? Or are there vets who just are not able to do that because they don't know what it is? Uh, most of them are going to know what it is. Now, a lot of them, to be honest, aren't going to be able to run it in-house. Like, you know, I'm able at my clinic to run a 4DX test, heartworm test, CBC, electrolyte, chemistry panel, coagulation test, uh, ultrasounds, x-rays. You know, I do a lot of that stuff at my emergency clinic. Most of the other clinics in my town, um, and we probably have – seven or eight clinics between my two little towns right there close to me and most of them don't have ultrasound very few of them have ultrasound very few of them i think there's probably two of them and counting me that has a coagulation panel to check for rat poison so it all depends on the vet but to be honest if they can't run it in house they can easily draw the sample and send it off 
you know, a lot of the clinics, I've, I've figured this out as well since I got into the, you know, handlers in Kentucky type deal. A lot of those smaller content, uh, clinics in Kentucky and stuff can't even run a CBC chemistry and electrolytes in the house, you know, which checks kidney function, liver function, anemia and all that. Most of them have to send them out. Now they get them back the next day uh, or two days later, but, you know, a lot of them don't even have blood machines in, in clinic, you know, and it's hard for me as an emergency veterinarian to fathom that, but that is, that is it. But, you know, the best thing to do is for the owners to kind of do some research on their own as far as what tick diseases they worry about, what's in their area and all that. And then, and then call a vet, a local vet office and talk to them and say, Hey, look, I have a dog that's doing this. And I think he may have a, you know, a tick disease. What tick disease stuff can y'all do in house and what tick disease stuff you're okay sending out. And so I would, I would just be straight up honest with the people and, and the vet and tell them, you know, what you want. And then most of them are going to do what the owner asks, you know, and just, you know, just tell the vet, Hey, look, you know, if this, if you don't feel like this is needed, let me know. Cause I don't want to waste money for no reason, because in certain cases, there's certain things that point to certain diseases. And so if it's not pointing to a tick disease, there's no reason to spend two or $300 sending out all this tick stuff. You know, and so sometimes an owner may think a vet's just not wanting to do it, and the vet's actually trying to save them money. Now, some vets are going to do the opposite and want to charge them everything they can charge them to get everything they can get out of them, and that's that's the sad part of it is you, you never know which vet you're dealing with until you you get in there and you you uh, you know experience it once or twice. Right. So go if we go to the emergency side of things because that's what you are now, emergency vet clinic. You know, stuff has yeah. hit the fan. It's bad when they're coming to see you. What, what are some things that maybe, you know, us hound hunters can keep on hand for an emergency kit? Like, what is there anything that we should be keeping in stock at our house? Because I know for myself, the nearest emergency vet clinic is over an hour away. Is there something, that, is there a list of things we should keep on hand in our house, in our fridge, in our truck that, hey, when stuff hits the fan, this is what you need and this is how you use it? Um, yeah, it kind of gets a little sticky there because... I guess the, the one thing I would tell people that they should carry um, is Benadryl, you know, just oral Benadryl. Um, where y'all are, Bryce, you don't have to worry about it as much, but where I'm at, snake bites are a big deal. You know, we see tons of copperheads, uh, cottonmouths, which are moccasins, and then, you know, rattlesnakes even in North Louisiana. Um, and if those dogs, you know, get bit by that and you're, you know, 30, 45 minutes deep in the woods and you got an hour drive to emergency clinic, you know, your, your dog is going to be a little more comfortable if you give him Benadryl. Now, is that dog going to die if you don't give him Benadryl before you get to the vet office? No, most of the time not. You know, snake bites in dogs aren't near as bad as in people. You know, me and you get bit by a snake and we don't get antivenom, we die most of the time. But dogs, not so much. You know, we don't even do antivenom in dogs. We give them steroids, we give them uh, pain meds, we give them Benadryl, and we give them antibiotics because they get infections. But if I had to tell somebody, you know, if you if you had a vet that was a friend of yours or you had, you know, a feed store owner that would sell you something, um, you know, keeping some penicillin in your box is not a bad deal, but it needs to be in the fridge. And then keeping a steroid like, you know, dexamethasone or something like that, it's not a bad thing to have on hand as long as you use it correctly. Um, you know, it's a, it's a good thing for certain things. You know, I, I sent my handler some some steroids and Benadryl and antibiotics and that kind of stuff just to keep on hand in case he's at a big hunt and the dog gets in a bind and I'm not able to get up there. Um, but you know, for most people that don't have a, a vet friend or a vet on speed dial, steroids and antibiotics and all those things are, are, 
are hard to get your hands on. So the easiest thing to get your hands on that might would help is, is Benadryl, you know, because it, it is really good for uh, swollen throat and that kind of stuff from like a bee sting or a wasp sting or a snake bite or, you know, infection from a abscess or something like that, you know, Benadryl will help that swelling. But most of those things there, um, you know, you just got to get them into a vet when you, when you can. Right. So let, let's say it's not quite an emergency. You're at a big hunt. You, say we're at super stakes. You know, we've been hunting for a week. And on the last day, our dog, you know, maybe you pull him out of the box and he's got a, a swollen ankle. Looks like he's, you know, twisted something. A carprofen is something that I keep on hand a lot for like an anti-inflammatory. Is that something good? Is, am I doing something wrong? But I just know that's what I've had for a long time in the box is carprofen for that kind of situation. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, Corprofen or Remedil is another name for it is, uh, is going to be the best thing for that kind of situation. And I actually sent my handler uh, to Remedil, you know, injectable form and oral form um, for that kind of issue. So, yes, that is definitely okay. It is, it is a prescription. So it's one of those things that you got to have a friend that uh, sends it to you, a vet friend that sends it to you. Or if you have a dog that gets injured and they give you two weeks of it and you only need five days and dogs back to normal, keep the rest of it on hand for those kind of situations. But certain medications like steroids and Remedil Corprofen can't be given at the same time because it'll mess up the stomach and give them, uh, can shut the kidneys down. So you got to be careful with what you give and when you give it. If you do have to bring the dog to a vet, you got to make sure you tell the vet what you gave so that we as veterinarians know not to give something that's going to make matters worse. But, yes, carprofen is a great drug for swollen ankles and, you know, even dog bites where they get bit and they're swollen a little bit from it. You know, those kind of things, you know, carprofen is real good for that. I keep it in my clinic and I use it a lot. The Houndsman XP Podcast Network is powered by Cajun Lights. All of your lighting needs for hunting can be taken care of at Cajun Lights. They have three models of cap lights. I'm gonna run through them real quick. You've got the Rogaroo, which is their high-end light. If you're a competition hunter and you gotta find that coon up in a tree and it's all riding on finding that coon, you'll want the Rogaroo on your head. Next is the Bayou. That's a pretty standard light, but it's got packed with features. It's got multiple colors. It's got walking lights. It's got the red, the green, the amber. It's all built in right into that light. And then you have one of my personal favorites, the Micro Gator. The Micro Gator is an ultra lightweight cap light. It's got all the features of a white light, red, green, and amber. I've used this light for everything from finding bear tracks early in the morning to coon hunting at night, to working on plumbing in the house, changing tires on the side of the road. My truck doesn't leave the driveway without a Cajun light in it. And that light is the Micro Gator. Every Cajun light is durable, made from the highest quality components, and it is backed by Cajun's top-rated customer service. Check out Cajun Lights. You can go to our website at houndsmanxp.com. Go to our sponsors page. Hit that link. It'll take you right to Cajun Lights. Check them out. They got a lot of stuff to offer over at Cajun Lights. All right, let's, let's switch gears here a little bit from, you know, vet stuff to just general hound care and the biggest one on that and if anybody is big into the competition hunting it, it seems to come in cycles about once every three months somebody will make a post about dog food and then the whole world blows up and it seems like everybody and their brother yeah. is switching foods and asking questions what what is your feelings on, on the dog foods do you think you should switch up maybe blends of feed 
uh, certain times of year for the summer, run a lighter protein and maybe a heavier protein in the winter. Let's just dive into dog food. Let's talk about it. Uh, yeah, that's a big discussion. Um, the dog food deal, the problem with dog food, there is no steadfast rule on which food is best and which food should be fed when. Okay, I tell everybody it's an experiment with the dog. Every dog is different, just like every person is different. You can do this diet plan, and I can do the same diet plan, and you lose 50 pounds, and I gain 50. You know, every one of them is different. Same thing with foods. You know, I feed all my personal dogs at home uh, Perina Pro Plan. Okay, that's just mainly because as a veterinarian, they do a lot for veterinary medicine. They do a lot of research, and it's a really good food, and they give me a big discount on it when I buy it. That is why I've always fed it. Um, I've fed science diet for a long time, too, and my dogs did really good on it. You know, these most of these dogs I'm talking about are are just house dogs. You know, dogs are, are, are good for the kids, and that's about all they're good for. You know, I got a, a lab that's 14 years old now, and he's been on size diet for the first six or seven years of his life and did great, and then he switched over to Perina Pro Plan, and for the last six, seven years, he's done great on it, too. You know, so every dog is different. Uh, same thing with the blends. I mean, in my opinion, uh, I don't like to switch foods often, but I don't mind switching like on the joy and that kind of stuff where they have the higher protein and then they have the lower protein. Um, you know, it depends on your, your hunting, you know, like my handler hunts six days a week year round, you know, where I'm at. You can hunt six days a week year round because your dog's going to get eaten by an alligator or getting eaten by a snake. You know, it's it's a lot harder on on us where we are to hunt that often because of how hot it is uh, and the critters that's that's around. But you know, where my handlers at up in Kentucky, it's they don't have to worry about poisonous snakes as much. They don't have alligators. You know, he's he's a hard hunter and and you know he hunts six days a week and um, you know honestly on those dogs. He doesn't generally switch the, the 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 protein level and fat level up on them because he's hunting them the same year round. You know, if he finds that they're getting a little too chunky, um, you know, he'll cut back on on how much he's giving them more than anything. So, you just gotta experiment with it, find a food that works for that dog, uh, for your hunting style, um, and and your weather and your climate. You know, of course, the further north you get, the more fat they need in their diet, and the more protein they need in the diet because it's colder. Um, you know, the more you hunt them, the more fat and the more protein they need. You know, you're going to lay one up for, you know, for four months during the summer at, in Louisiana. Then, yeah, I'd cut down on their fat and their, on their protein because they're going to get fat. Um, you know, you got a female that's that's bred. You know, I switch those dogs to puppy food. You know, that's what most vets tell you to do. Um, you know, as soon as they're bred, they should be switched over to, to true puppy food. Gives them more protein, more fat, more vitamins, you know, all the stuff they need for, for um getting ready to nurse puppies and then i feed them puppy food all the way through until the puppies are actually weaned you know and then at that point i slowly transition them back to their normal food and anytime you change them even from one protein percent and fat percent to a different you know even if it's the same food and it's just a different blend um you really you really want to do that over a five to seven day period of time because if not, it can cause them to get a stomach upset, vomits and diarrhea, that kind of stuff if it's switched suddenly. So you don't want to just take them off one and switch them to the other. Um, that's a really big deal if you switch in brands. You know, if you go from Joy to Perina or Perina to Joy or, you know, one of those deals, um, you want to switch them over a five to seven day period where you, you know, put a couple kibble of the new in with the old for a day. And then the next day, you know, double the amount of new take away a little bit of the old and just slowly transition them until they get to all the new food 
All right, so what about feeding times? I personally have always just done it where when I get done hunting at night, I feed everything. That might be at 10 o'clock at night in the wintertime when I'm done, and that might be at 2, 3 in the morning whenever I get done hunting in the summertime. I feed once a day whenever I get done hunting. I know some people say, oh, well, you should feed less twice a day. Does that matter? Is there anything that backs one way or the other as far as feeding goes? I feel like that's, again, that's a personal preference on the owner and a personal preference on the dog. Uh, I tell most of my clients to feed twice a day. Um, the only reason is uh, because of a twisted stomach. So when I feed twice a day, like my, all my personal dogs, I feed twice a day. You know, whatever I would give them once a day, I split in half. And so they're getting the same amount. They're just getting two smaller portions. Um, GDV or a twisted stomach is a big deal we see. You know, labs, Great Danes, I've seen it in a couple of hounds. We don't see it as much in hounds, thankfully. But it's when the stomach is full and it twists on itself and it cuts circulation off to both sides of the stomach. The stomach will actually die and they need an emergency surgery within an hour to two hours of the stomach flipping. And if they don't, they, they, they die from it. You know, me as an emergency vet, I've done tons of those surgeries and have good luck with them if we get them in right away. But if you don't catch them right away and the owners are gone for eight hours and they come home and it's bloated and, and in a bind, usually when you take that dog to surgery, his stomach's dead. You know, you have to put it to sleep on the table. Um, but I, I have seen in most research that they think that those GDVs happen less frequently if they're fed twice a day, smaller amounts. So I tell most people twice a day, smaller amounts, but you know, my dad's got tons, we got hog dogs and, and just, you know, squirrel dogs, that kind of stuff at his house. And he feeds all those once a day and they've never had an issue. So I really don't think it's an end all be all type deal, but you know, my opinion personally, I feed all my dogs twice a day. Gotcha. So talking about that twisted stomach, you know, that's a pretty time sensitive deal. What is something that somebody should look for in that? Like, is there signs that pop up immediately that should register and okay, I got to go right now. Yeah. So those dogs are going to be trying to vomit and they can't. So it's going to be called retching. They're going to be, you know, and trying to vomit stuff up and nothing comes up. And then if you wait too long, you'll actually see that the stomach starts swelling and, and air starts, you know, forming in the stomach and it almost feel like they got a basketball inside their stomach. You know, that at that point is, is a true GDV. Now dogs, if they overeat, so let's say you got a, crazy puppy that tears out his pen and opens his food container and eats, you know, five gallons of food, he's going to get a big stomach from that. And that will predispose it to flipping. So you can have a bloat where they just blow up their stomach blows up with air or they overeat and they get food distension, but it doesn't twist. But anytime you see one that does that and it gets, it eats too much and it gets bloated like that. The next thing that happens after that, if they run and they play and they flip and they turn over and stuff is the stomach can twist. So, I tell people, if you see a dog that's retching and trying to throw up and it can't, they got to go in right away because that is the first sign of a GDV, and then their stomach fills up with gas. Good information and to nothing have. Nothing to do at home. Nothing to do at home for those. You just got to get them into the vet office, you know, ASAP. Yeah, that, that's good information. Just something to keep, in, you know, keep an eye out because my lab, yeah. goodness gracious, she would eat five gallons of food if you put it in front of her. That's she, right. If I do Most not portion them. her out, and whatever I put in front of her, it's gone in about two wharfs. Yep. It's done. That's right, yep. Mine, same way. All right, so we're, we're at Super Stakes still. You know, we've talked about our emergency kit. We're late in the week, late round bound. We're Thursday night. We've been hunting all week long, double rounds. 
Is there anything that you can give that dog who is just worn out and tired? You know, a little, a little extra juice, a little boost. You know, we can go to the gas station, we can grab a five-hour energy or a monster, and we can, you know, we can have a high for an hour and a half. Yeah. Is there anything like that for dogs? Is there anything out there that they can, we can give them to just get right through that last late round? Yeah. Um, the first handler I had worked for me, Josh Sizemore, um, he really, really believed in that, that stuff called bounce back. You know, it's a high calorie, uh, electrolyte formula, basically that you mix in the water. And after the early round, um, you know, we had a dog named punch that we were hunting back then, um, been a year and a half, two years ago. And he would always give him, you know, that before the late round and he swore up and down that that would, that, that helped him that if he didn't give it to him, he noticed a difference. Um, you know, me personally, I, I don't know if I ever noticed a big difference, but he's the one that hunted that dog all the time. I trusted what he said, you know, and, and it's definitely not going to hurt the dog at all. So there's multiple companies that make those kind of electrolyte pouches of stuff that you can give them. So I would tell somebody that that would be your best bet if you had one that you felt like kind of runs down on, on that late round, you know, um, it's called bounce back. I know, and like I said, I know there's multiple companies that make them, but that's just the one that he believed in and, and he used and seemed to work, you know, good for that dog and, and, and for Josh. Um, you know, it's, it's just like, say, just mix it in the water and they, they drink it and they, they like it, you know, and, and uh, some dog, I have found that some dogs don't need it. You know, uh, I have, I know multiple dogs that are better late round than they are early round. You know, there are some dogs that are that way. On those dogs, I wouldn't give them anything. Um, but, you know, on some of these dogs that just kind of give it their all that first two hour and a half or two hours, you know, it, it, it definitely would be something that could help those dogs. Yeah, I've used bounce back for a long time. That's something that, uh, you know, uh, my buddy Shane got me turned on to, uh, Dick Brothers. Yeah. We, we did our first interview with him on this podcast. He believes in bounce back. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's something that I've used and I'm familiar with. So I didn't know if there was, you know, just that or if there was anything else we can give him. But it sounds like we're all kind of on the same page. Yep, yep. I think that's the best right now. All right. So let, let's swap roles. Let's take off the vet hat and let, let's put on our competition coon hunter hat. So anybody who's been around the game, you know, here recently knows who you are. And they know that you've had a couple of handlers for you with some, with some top-notch hounds. And, you know, I think just, just saying, you know, friend to friend, that's something to be proud of. You've had some really, really nice hounds. You're, you're the owner. You're the guy who's pushing a handler. You're paying these guys to go to the hunts. How do you pick the right handler? How, do, how did you pick Josh? How did you pick uh, Jason? What are you looking for in those guys? Josh was kind of a uh... – just a kind of a coincidence type deal with Josh. Uh, you know, I had a old black and tan that I hunted for years and years. I mean, he was 14 years old when he died. And, you know, I took that dog to vet school with me and I went down to Baton Rouge for vet school and, uh, hunted three or four nights a week there on the Chaffly river on the Chaffly river. You know, it was a four hour drive, uh, a two hour drive, hour and a half drive or something like that. You know, hour, hour and a half drive for me. Um, and I'd go there, depending on what part of the WMA I'd go to, you know, I'd go there two or three nights a week if I had tests or not, you know, just kind of depending. And, you know, I got really close to that dog and spent a lot of time down there in Baton Rouge in my six years I was down there in school. And, and then when I got out of school, I continued to hunt him a little bit too. I kind of retired him. And he wasn't a competition dog. I'd never been in competition hunting before then. You know, he was just a pleasure dog, you know, a high dog. You know, we, we killed some coons to him and, you know, coons weren't worth a lot back then, but I didn't have much money. So, 
you know, everyone I killed, I'd skin out and I'd sell the hide to the fur company and I'd sell the meat to people I knew in town that would, would eat it, you know. Um, and I just, you know, it's just something I grew up doing. My grandpa used to do it. And, you know, back then, hides were $20, $30 a piece. And that's how they made a lot of their extra money. You know, he cut hay and had a farm and had milk cows and all this stuff. But he made a lot of his money, you know, with trapping and, and uh, coon hunting and stuff after. And um, I after I lost that dog, I, I kind of stopped hunting for a long time and for years, multiple years, six, seven, eight years probably. And just didn't want to, didn't want anything to do with it anymore because, you know, that dog was super close to me and I was super close to him. And so I finally decided that, you know, it was time. I had a little boy that was born that was two, three years old. And, you know, I knew I wanted to show him that, you know, when he got a little bit older. And so I looked on ProHound and, uh, saw an ad that caught my eye and I called the guy and talked to him for a little bit and just didn't feel like the dog would, was for me. And, um, you know, I, I called the next one that kind of caught my eye and it was Josh and I started talking to him and we just kind of hit it off. And, you know, he said, look, uh, you know, I don't have anything going on for the next week or two. Um, you got anywhere to hunt down there? And I was like, yeah, I said, RWMA is just open a week or two ago. He said, well, look, uh, you just give me some gas money and I'll, I'll drive the dog down there to you. And he was coming from Kentucky. He said, I'll drive the dog down there to you and, and uh, we'll go hunt for, you know, three or four nights if you got it and see if you like him. I said, okay, that sounds like a good deal. So he came down and, and uh, brought a dog that was an action pack type dog. Um, the dog, you know, treated a bunch of trees and, and just never had a coon. You know, he was, he was the dog that's going to make something happen right or wrong. And that night, the, the first two or three nights, they, they were just wrong. You know, they were, they were there. Some of them were, I could consider circle trees, but most of them were slicks, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I, I paid Josh's gas money and he, the dog got sick on that third day. And so I brought him to my clinic and, and he was a, a thyroid dog, you know, he, he was a thyroid <laughs> dog and, and Josh hadn't been giving his thyroid medicine to him like he should. And he said, he just didn't believe the dog was a thyroid dog. And so I, 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 ran some blood work on the dog and you know kind of person i am i didn't charge josh for the blood work or anything i ran the blood work in my clinic and everything was good on the blood work and i said look let me send a thyroid test off and i sent the thyroid test off and the dog was low on his thyroid and again that was that was kind of before i really knew what i know now as far as the hunting dog side you know because i didn't even tick test the dog you know which i didn't have at that point i didn't even carry 40x test in my clinic so i couldn't have tested him anyway um but i told josh to start back on his thyroid meds and, and find somebody else to buy them because i didn't want them <laughs> you know and uh he uh i gave him some extra money for coming down and spending his time and and uh he called me a couple weeks after that and said hey look i found a dog you know that i think you might like uh it's a friend of mine that owns him he's a young dog but he's coming and he's coming on and chris bowling is the guy that owned that dog and uh uh i bought the dog over the phone without ever hunting with the dog you know i trusted josh even though i just met him i trusted him and uh, talked to Chris and trusted Chris and I bought the dog, you know, for, for a, a good amount of money for me back then, you know, I, I bought the dog and, you know, dog was, was pretty little good, pretty good. Josh won a couple of hunts with him and stuff. And then, uh, we, he, Josh, you know, kind of figured out that this dog needs a little more training than what Josh was able to do. You know, Josh was a newer style competition hunter and hunted a lot for his whole life, but had never done a lot of training and that kind of stuff and kind of figured out the dog, wasn't going to be what we needed, wasn't going to be what I needed if I wanted to do competition hunting. And me and Josh had, after he'd come down, he started talking to me about competition. I was like, man, that sounds cool. I think that's something I'd like to do because I'd really never done anything of it. And so we bought the the Homer dog uh, as a 
a way to try to start competition hunting. You know, Josh is my handler and me as the owner and, you know, Homer is a dog. And Josh kind of figured out kind of quickly there that the dog needed a little more work than what he was going to be able to do to make him into a true, you know, big money type competition dog. And so he, uh, he got, he got, he got on the kind of on the role of, of, uh, Chris Hatfield owned a dog named Punch, um, who was a full brother to Homer, but an older litter. He was three years old. Homer was just a year old. Uh, Chris owned him and, um, Judas Bowling hunted him a little bit for, for Chris. And so Josh borrowed the dog from him and took him to a few, uh, legacy hunts and a few smaller hunts and black and 10 days and, and did real good. And, you know, at that time, Josh, you know, kind of told me what they wanted for the dog. I think they wanted 20 grand for him. And I was like, there ain't no way I'd buy that dog. I mean, my wife would kill me if I spent $20,000 on a dog right now. You know, I was having marital issues at the time. And so I'm like, that's going to be my divorce for sure if I buy a $20,000 dog. <laughs> uh, and so I told him, I said, look, I just I, I just can't do it. You know, and, and I backed out of the deal for a little while and then, uh, my wife decided she wanted a divorce anyway. And so after she, you know, told me she wanted a divorce, I, I bought the dog. Uh, you know, at that time I didn't have anything stopping me from buying the dog. So I told Josh again, I bought the dog, $20,000, never saw the dog in person, never hunted with the dog, just went off of Josh and, and Judas and, um, Chris Hatfield and, uh, bought the dog. And, you know, he turned out to be a, a, a stellar of a dog and won a, uh, Twenty thousand dollar integrity series uh, for me and a bunch of other smaller PKC hunts, and uh, he was a platinum champion. Uh, doubled up at the nationals. You know, he he had a, he had a good run, and then um, we had led a uh, we'd let a kid hunt him and uh, at a at the youth hunt, and he ended up getting run over. You know, I did it as a uh, I mean, Josh did it as a gesture of, of kindness to a, a young kid who had not hunted much. And when he did hunt, he didn't have a dog that was worth anything, really. And we let him uh, hunt the dog. Josh was with him, and they, they cast the dogs out, and, and he got on the road and got ran over and got killed. Um, and I was – Josh was heartbroken. I was heartbroken. You know, we, we were – we were both down and out for a while and Josh, you know, started talking to me about buying another dog. And, you know, I told him I was done. I didn't want anything else to do with competition hunting. It bit me in the butt, cost me a lot of money. You know, I didn't have the dog insured and, and I was, I was, I was down, you know, I love that dog. I didn't see him a whole bunch, but you know, back then, like I, said, I was going through a divorce and I, uh, I went every other weekend when I didn't have my three kids, I would, I was at a hunt somewhere with Josh and that dog and I got close to him, you know? And so it kind of tore me up when he got killed and, and, uh, I backed out for, you know, a couple of weeks, I would say, I told Josh, I didn't want anything to do with it. And then he called me and told me he found another dog. And I was like, I don't want anything to do with it. And, uh, come to find out, uh, Chris Hatfield had the dog, you know, as well. Same person we bought punch from. Um, he was an older dog and I know, you know, the dog Jed, his name was no gamble. Jed, uh, Greg Maynard had the dog for a while. Adam Campbell owned the dog, Greg Maynard hunted him. And then, you know, he went to, uh, your buddy, uh, Basham and Basham kind of got him lined out and got him on the right road and won a whole bunch of casts with him. And then, you know, you took him to UKC world hunt and, and did real good with him. And, you know, I think finishing top five or whatever with him there. And I talked to Chris about buying the dog before kind of after that first round of the ukc hunt and and uh again i just wasn't the dog was four or five years old was an older dog and didn't have a whole bunch of money won um and so i was kind of skeptical about spending that much money on a dog that that did, really didn't have 
a lot of money won. He wasn't a platinum. He wasn't even a gold champion yet at that point. Um, but he was doing real good. You know, he was on a 10 or 15 cast win streak and, you know, it was doing good at UKC and all that, you know, the, the world hunt. And I told Chris, you know, that I would, I would buy him after the hunt. And, you know, he said, well, look, it's going to go up in cost if he, if he wins it. And I was like, I understand that. He said, if he finishes in the top 10, it's going to go up. I said, I understand that as well. So I ended up costing me a little bit more money waiting to buy him, but I ended up buying him uh, before that last night. I, I called Chris and bought him over the phone. And again, I never hunted with a dog, never been with him, just took, you know, uh, Basham's word and, and Chris's word and Josh's word, because Josh, I think, had hunted with him once or twice and uh, ended up buying the dog. And, uh, you know, I think he ended up uh, – placing in top four of the AKC world right after that when Josh had him. And uh, me and Josh parted ways um, after that. And uh, I was really debating on selling the dog because uh, I just, you know, I had a bad taste in my mouth with the way my other dog died. And I just, you know, I, I was I was really debating on just selling Jed and getting rid of it. Um you know, I called you and you hunted him for me in that truck hunt, you know, without you even knowing the dog much, you know, you hunted him for me, um, you know, and, and he had a, he had some bad luck, you know, he should have, should have won his first cast there, had some bad luck. He and, looked good and, uh, that cast. Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> he not, looked good, but he not, looked bad. He treated three coons yep. and missed every one of them by one tree. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that dog since then, you know, Josh, and I'm not talking bad about Josh at all. So don't, y'all don't think that Josh is a, is a hunter that, that, doesn't like to hunt every night and that is okay for most dogs punch was a dog you didn't have to hunt every night punch was a dog you hunt him once a week twice a week he was the same if you hunt him once twice a week or you hunted him every night you know he was just that kind of dog um and josh really thought jed was that kind of dog until i actually got him in somebody's hand that hunted him every night and that that thing has lit another fire i mean he's 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 kicked into another gear since then i mean he never misses hardly knock on wood um you know he is super fast he moved better than punch moved he's actually more accurate than punch now that he's hunted up but he's a dog that you may lay him up one night before the hunt but you better hunt him every night before that if not he's gonna go 2.2 miles every single drop you know you'll never hear him you know um he's a dog he's he's legit i mean he's he's doing good right now you know, we had a little scare on the vest there in Kentucky. He thought he had a stick stuck in his lung because he's been doing some coughing. And so I took him after that uh, pro sport hunt. He, he placed uh, second in at pro sport hunt, one forty thousand, and I ended up taking him to the veterinary specialist there in New Orleans for a CT scan and a scope because they thought he had a stick stuck in his lung. But come to find out, the specialist redid the X-rays and the spot that was in his lung was getting better and was almost gone. And they did some other testing on him, and that they diagnosed him with a, a respiratory uh, case of uh, anaplasmosis, uh, which is treatable with medication. And so he didn't have to have a surgery or sedation or anything like that. But he was with me about eight days, seven or eight days, and I took him back to Jason. And Jason said it was like he forgot everything he taught him. You know, he is just now, and that was a week and a half ago, he is just now getting lined out where he's actually accurate again and listening to him and all that. That dog is a dog that you have to stay on, which I feel like is why he switched hands so many times is that he's a dog that, that needs a lot of care and a lot of work. Uh, and Jason is definitely the guy that ha I feel like, you know, his profession allows him to do that. You know, he doesn't work a daytime job. He trains dogs for a living. Um, 
you know, I pay him to hunt, you know, per month where I didn't pay Josh. Uh, Josh didn't want to be paid to be truthful. Uh, Josh knew he didn't hunt every night and Josh didn't want to take advantage of me and said, look, I don't want you calling me every night asking me why I'm not hunting since you're paying me to hunt. Uh, he said, I I'd just rather you, you know, pay the entry fees. We split the winnings and, you know, pay my food and gas and hotels and that kind of stuff. He said, but as far as me, you paying me every, every month, to hunt, I don't want it. Cause I, I don't hunt hard enough for that. And I was you know, thankful that he was honest with me from the beginning. Uh, Jason's different, you know, Jason, hunt six nights a week sometimes seven nights a week um now he may only be out there an hour or two uh he may be out there all night it just depends on what the dog needs and you know he has definitely been a blessing you know he's opened my eyes to a lot of things and you know i was down and out for a while and i really thought the coon hunting world was a bunch of crooks you know crooks and a lot of people that want to take advantage of you uh and and jason truthfully showed me different you know all all of them aren't bad jason's a good one for sure um you know, how I, how I kind of got involved with Jason, uh, the Homer dog that I originally was talking about that we bought first, um, w Josh had recommended me sending him to Jason because if anybody could get the dog out of all of his bad stuff, it was Jason. And he said, if Jason tells you the dog's not worth, you know, spending time and effort and money in to get him into the competition phase, then, you know, we needed to part ways with him or make him a pleasure dog for somebody. And so Jason started hunting the dog for me, hunting him for a couple months, two or three months and said, look, the dog's doing real good. And, you know, I think he may be, he may be a competition dog after all. Uh, and then he just shut down and started doing terrible again. And I ended up testing him for all the tick stuff and everything flared back up. And he's just a dog you can hunt frequently. You can't hunt every night because of the lichia. You know, he's got a bad case of lichia that just doesn't ever go away, you know, and, uh, since then, you know, Jason, uh, had called me after me and Josh split ways and said, Hey, look, I know you got this Jed dog. You know, everybody tells me he's the right kind. He just needs a lot of work. He said, you know, you're already paying me every month to hunt Homer. Won't you send me Jed? Uh, we'll see how he looks. And, you know, if he looks good and I like him and you want to send me to some hunts, I'll, you know, send me to some hunts. And if not, I'll try to get him lined out for you. And you can sell him. And I said, okay, that's fine. And I talked to, a, you know, Sandra with K light, is a friend of uh, Josh's and a friend of mine and a friend of Jason's and Judas, all of us. And, uh, you know, she, she, you know, highly recommended Jason and a couple other people as well, you know, had highly recommended them and said, look, you know, there may be, you know, there may be, he may not win every cast, but he's a person that's going to be honest with you. And if he tells you, you know, don't go to that, that let's not go to this hunt because the dog's looking terrible, then trust what he says. And, you know, that's what I needed was somebody that I could trust. And Jason is definitely, you know, been that person. He's been a blessing and, and, uh, you know, I trust everything he says, you know, with all I got, um, which is what it requires in this line, because to spend the amount of money that I spend on entry fees and the amount of money that I spend on buying these dogs, um, you know, amount of money I spend on hotels and gas and new trucks for the hunter, for the handler and all this stuff, um, you got to trust who you're with, you know, and I 100% trust, you know, that he's doing what's best for me and the dog. Um, you know, I don't require him to hunt every night. I don't require him to send me videos or text me or anything like that. I don't ask him if he's hunting. Um, but he's been up front with me from the beginning uh, and says, look, I hunt every night except for Sundays most of the time. And if it's needed, I will hunt Sunday night as well. Uh, if the dog's looking bad, I'm going to get him right before we go to a hunt. If I tell you to sell the entry, let's sell the entry because we ain't got a chance. Um, you know, to be honest with you, he hated Jed. <laughs> he hated him for the first two months he had him. You know, he told me to sell him and uh had a guy that reached out to me after me and josh split ways and wanted to buy the dog and i priced him because josh you know jason hated him so much i priced him uh, for way less than what i thought the dog was worth and 
the guy kind of never got back to me after it. So I guess it, you know, the price I listened for wasn't, wasn't what he was looking for. So he never, he never got back to me after that on him. And, you know, me and Jason both are thankful, you know, since then, uh, Jason's made him a gold champion since then. And, uh, qualified him for uh the nationals uh he doubled up at the nationals and then fell apart that next night uh which a lot of dogs do um you know he just placed second in that hundred thousand dollar uh pro sport hunt that uh josh actually won with a, a dog named bella uh i think randy smith owned that dog and, and uh, strickland may own part of it uh, but josh actually uh, is the one that won that hundred thousand dollar hunt which you know we congratulate him for that it was a big accomplishment and uh you know that, she's a good little dog she had a she had a night to remember for sure you know jed had a had an awesome night that night and and uh just couldn't keep up with her you know that early round uh jed looked really good and late round you know he actually beat echo and uh that spice girl dog that croson hunts and they both are legit dogs and i mean he he did a he did a hell of a job that night and and uh you know beat him by two coons and and uh you know, I could have asked for anything better that night. And that next night, he didn't really make any mistakes, you know, in the championship round. Uh, Bella's just a really good strike dog, hunter strike dog, and by herself, and is quick. You know, that's the good thing about her. So, you know, I think she had a really good night. You know, I'd, I'd like to draw out again because I feel like Jed's going to have – he's going to have a good chance to beat her most nights, you know, but she that night was hers for sure, and she deserved it for sure. Yeah. So um, – let I want to ask this. Jason Daughtry is the guy that we're talking about here, folks. You guys don't know who uh, is hunting for Broncos. Jason Daughtry out of Kentucky. And if anybody knows anything about Jason, you know that he loves Facebook. And he makes some of the most comical posts on Facebook. That is right. So, Bronk, as an owner, and I'm going to bring this up because Jason put it on Facebook. He said it first. I didn't say it. The night that he handled Jed, or didn't handle Jed, we should say didn't handle Jed. Yeah. You know, got to the tree, handled the dog, scored the tree, and then realized, oh, crap, I've got the wrong dog on the end of my lead. Yeah. That was, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, a $4,000 entry fee hunt. Correct. And Jed, the correct dog, had struck for a hundred and was by himself with the coon and would have won the cast. What went through yes, your head? Correct. What went through your head when you heard that? Were you just, were you irate? Because I know me, I would have been irate. And how, how do you handle that going forward with a handler that you're paying? You pay them monthly, you send them to these big hunts, you bought him a truck and he cost you a $4,000 entry fee. Jason, we love you, but we got to know Bronx side of the story. Yeah. Well, um, to be honest with you, I mean, Jason, Jason is, is Jason thought he was fired. <laughs> you know, he called me, he's like, look, man, I know you're going to fire me, but I'm going to tell you the story. I'm like, I'm not going to fire you. Go ahead and tell me the story. You know, they had another cast for people that don't know the story. They had another cast that cut loose somewhere close to them after they had cut loose. And one of those dogs, after he treed Jed in, one of those dogs came in between the cast and where Jed was treeing at and pulled up treed. And so they were walking straight to Jed and got to that dog first. And Jason had his garment in his pocket and did not take it out and look at it. I mean, I wouldn't have either. And that's why I told him. I said, I can't blame you because what you did, I would have done as well. Um, and 
got the dog, put him on the lead, tied him to the tree, scored the tree. It, he told me he he keeps me updated through all these casts, and he told me, you know, this this tree is is a slick, but I hope I think I can get it. I think I can get it circled. I think they're going to circle it. But to me and you, I'm going to tell you this dog don't have this coon. And he said, but I think they're going to circle it. And I was like, okay, that's good. And then a little later, he called me and said. You're never going to believe what happened. I said, what? He said, that wasn't even Jed. I was like, what do you mean that wasn't Jed? He said, that dog's not Jed. It's a, it's a dog from another cast. He said, after we scored the tree and all that, I looked at the collar because I went to put the leash uh, to get him off the lead on the tree. And I said, this ain't my dog. He said, I told the judge <laughs> and the judge was Mason Bush. And he told the judge, he's like, judge, this ain't my dog. And <laughs> the judge was like, okay, well, what do you want me to do? He's like, well, I want to go score my dog. And the judge was like, this was a dog I was hearing the whole time. This is a dog I walked into. So I, I just can't, there's no way we can go tree the other dog because we've already scored this tree. And Jason let it go, which he should have because it was his mistake. And he he cut the other dog back loose so he could go back to his original <laughs> owner and, uh, and uh, went in there to get Jed. And Jed had a coon, which he had had the last like 10 or 12 coons before that. And so went there and got him and he had a coon. And he was only another like two or 300 yards. He wasn't far. I mean, that other dog came in right there where he was in tree. And so he's like, look, I know you're going to fire me. Uh, I deserve to be fired. You know, it was a $4,000 entry fee. This would have put us into the next round. I don't even remember what hunt it was now. You probably remember what hunt was that. I, I don't remember what it was. I just remember it was a $4,000 entry fee because my it, gut it sunk whenever I read the post. I don't know if it was one of the truck hunts. I don't remember which hunt it was, honestly, but it would have moved us on to the next round. It was a one of those round type hunts, so it would have moved us on to the next round. I think it was a swag series, is what it was. It was a fifty thousand dollars swag series. That's what it was. Uh, and Jason, like, I just lost us. Uh, uh, I just lost us the cast win like eight thousand dollars. I said, "Well, hell!" I said, "If he's gonna win that, he probably would over the whole thing. You would just lost this fifty thousand what you lost." And he's like, "Oh no, don't say that." Uh, and I mean, honestly, the thought never crossed my mind to fire him. I mean, it was an honest mistake. It was something that would never happen again because what is the chances of another dog coming in that close to your dog from another cast and treeing in between exactly where you're walking to? I mean, it was just a wasn't meant to be cast for us. And that's what a lot of them are. If it's your turn to win, it's your turn to win and nothing you're going to do is going to mess it up most of the time. That was not our cast to win. Who knows? The next cast we could have come loose, he could have got hit by a car and got killed. You know, that's the way I look at it. It was God's way of not letting him hunt the next cast for some reason, whether that was something to protect Jason, something to protect the dog. I don't know. We just got to trust that it happened for a reason. And that's what I did. Um, and we joke about it occasionally, but I've never brought it up. And, uh, you know, Jason brings it up if anybody does, cause he's embarrassed about it still. Um, but it's just one of those things that happens and thought of firing and never crossed my mind. Uh, that just shows, you know, the, the type of person that you are Bronco. I, I haven't known you too terribly long, but, the conversations that we have had, you know, you're, I feel like you're just a genuine person. You know, you and I get along great. We hit it off good. Uh, I'm glad to see that you've found somebody who can hunt six yeah. nights a week. Because when you asked me to hunt Jed there for a while, uh, you know, I hunted hard for those two weeks. But honestly, for me, I can't hunt six nights a week. I'm lucky if I can get three, maybe four nights in. Yeah. Um, and, and I understand that, you know, carrying a full-time yeah. job, uh, you know, having yeah. a family with lots of kids. I understand the limitations. So I, there was no hard feelings when you found Jason. And yep. honestly, it's been fun watching you and him win. I was yep. rooting for him in that uh, 100,000 hunt. And I was kicking myself in the rear end because I, yep. you know, I bit him up on the Calcutta. 
and then I let somebody get it after after it went over a hundred dollars. Like I that let somebody me. else have it. I'm I'm the I'm the I'm the one that outbid you. Oh, son of a gun! I'm, but but I saved you some money. You, we lost. Yeah, you got second, but I mean, I was I told Nick I said, "Gosh darn it, I should have bought lost. it." I know we we lost, I did, but I, I think I ended up I, I think I bid I think I ended up because somebody else outbid you originally, and then I outbid them. I think it was one hundred and fifty or one hundred seventy five, so it wasn't much. But yeah, I saved you one hundred fifty dollars. Yeah, yeah, you did. We'll look at it that way. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> now, if I would have won. That would have been bad. Oh man! <laughs> you know, I, if I'd won first, then you know, then I would have cost you a lot of money. Yeah, the you would. Person that won first, they want to, they want a good little chunk of money on that. I think they won eight thousand on that Calcutta, something like 8, that. Eight thousand—that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, let, let's wrap this up, and let's hope this doesn't happen. But I'm just curious, from a you know, from a money man's perspective, what if you, what if Jason and Jed go on a, a dry spell, or anybody that's hunting for you and any dog, do you? Does it cross your mind to to swap dogs out for that hand? Like, all right, something's not working. Let's swap dogs. Let's let's see what we can do to fix this. How do you go about that? Because you got a lot of money invested in this. You need yeah. to have a return on investment. You know, Jason's got a, uh, a dog named Nikki that's a three-year-old, just on her last Super Stakes, um, that when me and him made the deal, uh, he signed the dog over to me and didn't make me pay anything, uh, put her in my name. And uh, he loves that dog. And she, she's, a, she's a gold champion. You know, she... She won a cast out there in uh, Oklahoma, that casino hunt. Um, I think it's a $6,000, $8,000 entry, whatever it was. She won, um, you know, a, a cast out there and put her over that, that you know, gold champion mark. Um, so she's a, she's, a, she's a good little dog. And, you know, this past weekend, uh, I let Jason make all his decisions, to be honest with you. Jason is the one that hunts the dogs. Um, he has my 100% trust on what he says and what he does. Uh, Jason's hard, hard to please as a dog man, though. I mean, I will say that Jason was so rough on Jed originally and wanted me to sell him. And now if I offered him a hundred thousand, I told him, look, I got offered a hundred thousand dollars to buy that for somebody to buy that dog. And I sold it. He'd be heartbroken because he'd be like, that dog's worth more than that. He wouldn't take no amount of money for that dog right now because him and that dog's on the same page. Finally took a little while, but Jed is one of those dogs, and I keep telling Jason this, and I keep having to tell him this. Jed is one of those dogs. He's a true competition dog, and you know what I'm talking about. Some of those dogs, they're not the same when they pleasure hunt. They don't hustle. They don't. They're not as accurate. You know, if it's not something there that's testing them, like three strange dogs after being tied up at the clubhouse for an hour or two, and you take them to a new plot of woods and hunt, they know that it's not the same. They know this is just practice. They know that they may get a coon killed to them. You know, they, it's not the same. You know, they don't act the same. And Jed is one of those dogs to the T, or he was. Jason has kind of gotten him out of that now. Jason now says he hustles the same uh, on, on practice nights with just him and Nikki or with him and all the burdens because he's real big with all the burdens, and so they hunt together a lot as well. Um, but he's saying now that that dog is not that way. He hunts the same competition as pleasure hunting. You know, pleasure hunting-wise, when Josh had him, you know, he may make five trees. He may only have coons in two of those. And the next night you pleasure hunt him, he may have been five for five. You know, you take him to a hunt, he's going to have just about every coon, every tree he had, he trees is going to be a legit circle or den, or it's going to be a coon. I mean, every once in a while he'll tree a slick, but it's pretty rare. I mean, I'm going to knock on some wood because, you know, I don't want to toot his horn too much and, and screw him up for this weekend coming up. But he's a dog that that is pretty accurate whenever the time is right. Um we had a entry to a 2500 Kentucky Morgantown hunt this past weekend that didn't feel 
and um, they ended up switching it to a 500 pro sport hunt. And Jason texted me and said, what dog you want me to bring? Because Jed's looking like crap. He said, I don't have him lined out yet. And I said, bring who you want to bring. He said, I think I'm going to bring Nikki. I said, that's fine. And the, the morning of the hunt, he texted me and said, now I'm confused. Now I don't know which one to bring. They both look like crap. <laughs> and I said, well, I said, take whichever one your gut tells you to take, Jason. I said, it's a $500 entry fee. It's not a $6,000 entry fee. I said, it's, it's up to you. I said, she, she, did, she looked pretty good most of the week. I said, she earned a ride. I feel like take her if you want to take her. I'm fine either way. I said, we got a couple big ones. We got that pro sport uh truck hunt uh, appreciation hunt that hundred thousand dollar black widow truck i said we got it coming up this weekend next weekend and then you know two weekends after that we got the hundred thousand dollar pkc hunt i said so he's got his chance coming i said so if you want to hunt her hunter and he hunted her and you know the first drop he texted me and said i made the mistake i should have brought jed i'm like you knew that from the beginning that you weren't gonna be happy with her uh jed is just a different dog he is fast moving quick hustle and she's a dog that's the same every single night you know she she's gonna do her thing it just doesn't make her hustle more to be in the cast right and so jason used to think she was a really awesome dog and then since he started hunting jed he doesn't like her quite as much because he said that she's not as fast as she should be but uh, you know me and my dog my oldest daughter took jed back to jason and hunted with him one night this this past weekend and and she treated a coon for jed even struck and then tree and, and then Jed treated and he had a coon. They both had a coon. And then she treated again and had another coon before Jed even struck again. You know, so she put it on Jed that night. Um, but Jed was laid up for seven or eight days. You know, most time that doesn't matter, but for that dog it matters a lot. Right. Um, and so he hunted Nikki and and was disgusted that he did so because he just, you know, he said she wasn't the same. So I honestly, to answer your question, I leave it all up to Jason. If he tells me we need to sell a hunt, then we're gonna sell it. Uh, now that he knows the dog, you know, originally I kept trying to get him to bring Jed to a hunt. I said, Jason, just bring him to a hunt. He's going to be different at the hunt than he is, you know, on, on practice day. And he finally took him to one and he won, you know, and he's like, well, this dog does, you know, I'm starting to, starting to G haul with the dog a little bit, right. you know? Um, but yeah, the dog, you know, I, I let him make the decision on, on who to hunt. And, and, uh, to be honest with you, if he texts me about a hunt, then the answer is always yes. You know, I, I don't tell him no on any of them because that's how he makes a lot of his money. Uh, it's not breaking me financially to do it. I mean, Jed's already won a $20,000 Integrity Series hunt and then that $40,000 Pro Sport hunt, uh, that $100,000 hunt he won second in. So, you know, he's paid for himself. You know, he's earned a right to go to whatever hunts he wants to go to, in my book, my opinion. Um, you know, and if he continues to win, you know, he's, he's owned his – He's owned his forever home as well. You know, I'm not one who likes to get rid of them. Once I, once I, once they do me some good, I mean, they they die at my house. They don't leave. So he's he's close to being there if he's not there already. Man, I I love to hear that because you know whenever I had bon- or Jed for those few short weeks, I bonded with that dog. He's an easy yeah. dog to bond with. I mean, he is yeah. he is a very likable dog and. And it makes me genuinely happy to know that, you know, he's, he's well taken care of. He's in the hands of somebody who's going to give him the chance he deserves, that has the money to back him, give him the showing that he needs to, to be seen. You know, he is a top-level hound, in my opinion, and I think he's shown yeah. it. So I'm glad that, you know, he's getting pushed and that he's found somebody who lo- enjoys him for, just, for who he is as a dog as well. You know, that's right. he's not that's just a tool. You know, he's he's that's a right. part if of the you, family. If you, look, you know, if you look at his PKC winnings, I mean – to get him qualify for nationals, Jason had to go to a hunt the week before um, to get him to a gold champion because he wasn't even a gold champion. You know, I paid $20,000 for the dog, and he wasn't even a gold champion. 
but I knew what the dog's potential was. Now you look at pro sport, he's like the eighth top money winning dog in pro sport at like 62,000. Um, it's just the ones that he wins have been pro sport related. And he's been in a lot of PKC hunts. Right. Maynard had him in a lot of PKC hunts as well. Now a lot of pro sport hunts as well. Um, and he's just a dog that, I don't know. He just, he fits with Jason, honestly. Um, you know, and I'm glad that and he's a five-year-old dog, you know, he's, he's getting up there, you know, he's probably going to have another three, four years, hopefully of, of good competition left in him. Um, you know, cause he can do a lot of winning in that time frame. I mean, he's a dog that, that should be a platinum champion with no issues and, and he just needs the right person you yeah. know, behind him. And I think Jason is definitely that right person now. And Basham, you know, Basham did really good with him as well. And I know you did good with him at UKC. You know, he was rolling then, you know, and then I think he's back to that point. Yeah, that's Took good. Took him a little while, but, you know, he's back to that point. That, that makes me happy. All right, well, yeah. I want to I wrap this up with one other question that, that literally sparked my interest right before we started recording this podcast today. What do you think the future of these big money hunts are here in, let's say, like the immediate future? There, there's an old saying, you can always tell when the ship is sinking because the big dogs start swimming. And within the last couple of weeks, just looking at it, you know, uh, Strickland, John Strickland had Apollo for sale, $75,000. Today, yeah. this morning, Scott Engel post yeah. Echo for $100,000 for sale. So yeah. those are two big names and those are two big dogs. Do they know something? Do you, as you as a money man, are you looking at anything? Does that concern you? No, nothing. No, those, those dogs are, those owners and those dogs are, they did it for the right reason. You know, um, Strickland, honestly, I don't know why, but I feel like he's become a female dog man. Like he only really wants to hunt female dogs now. Um, and I know why, I guess, cause a lot of the male dogs are, are pains in the butt, you know, whenever it comes to breeding and females being around and, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know, Echo's getting up there in age, you know, Echo's seven years old. Um, you know, we drew out with Echo. I hate to draw Echo cause he is a tough dog. Uh, he's a low level strike dog in my opinion, but when he trees, he's going to have a coon just about every single time, you know, that night we beat him. The really and truthfully, the only reason we got a chance to beat him was because him and that spice girl dog, uh, Echo and the spice girl dog, um, got on a track together. Jed went off the other direction. They got on a track together. And before we even got to the tree, the guide said that we were, we hadn't even started walking to the dogs yet. And the guide said, that's going to be a, a den tree. And I was in the back with the guide. I was on that cast. And I said, what makes you say that? He said, I've treated that tree a hundred times. And I, and he said, if they're in the tree, I think they're in. He said, I've treated that tree a hundred times and I've never seen a coon in that tree. He said, even when it's, when there's no leaves on that tree, he said, there's no holes to be found. He said, but he said, I've been minus on that tree before, but I know those coons are in that tree. There's a hole, there's a hidden hole. There's some way they get in that tree. You just can't see. He said, but it'll be, it'll be a, it'll be a circle tree. And we got there. And before we pulled up that tree, he said, that's the tree. I was like, okay, good. <laughs> and uh, and they, end up, they, end up, uh, they end up circling the tree, the Jed tree, the coon. And uh, he had struck for, it was a three dog cast. He had struck for 50 because he's, He's, he's a lower-level, mid-level type strike dog. Echo actually struck for 100 that night, which I was surprised. You know, that Spice Girl dog usually strikes for 100. Um, and, and you know, that, that was the break there that we needed. And then, you know, t Spice Girl treated coon by herself. Echo treated coon by themselves. And then Echo kind of just kind of fell out of hearing almost. And uh, Spice Girl treated again and was another circle tree, you know. And, and Jed treated two more coons, you know. So, 
I don't, I don't honestly think that there's anything that's wrong, and that's why they're getting with these dogs. I mean, Engel had definitely wrote. Engel's a trustworthy guy. I believe everything he says. He's a good guy. You know, there's a lot of them in that coon hunt world. I wouldn't trust as far as I could, I could throw them. But you know, he's different. You know, he's going to tell you like it is, and I don't feel like he's hiding anything. You know, he said the real reason he was getting rid of that dog. You know, he's he's about that mojo line. You know, and and uh, promoting those rodeo dogs now, and and that's what he's trying to spend his time with, and he doesn't want Echo to sit up and go to waste. I feel like, and somebody will buy that dog this week. I mean, it's that's what I told Jason. I said it'd be hard for me to think that dog would be on that on on, on sale for more than two or three days. Somebody's gonna buy. He's too good of a dog to to, to for somebody not to spend that money on it. For for a hundred thousand dollars, he's gonna be gone. I know, I know, less, I know dogs that sold for that much or more, and were less dogs than him. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy same to see. With, same thing with Apollo. I mean, Apollo sold pretty quick, you know. It's crazy yeah. to think what coon hunting's getting to. It is, you know, and, and it's it's sad, honestly, in some regards, because a lot of people that don't have the money, like I'll be honest with you, I'm never spending $100,000 on a dog. I mean, I could do it financially. I wouldn't want to, but I could. I just don't think I could ever bring myself. Knowing what I've been through, I've had two dogs that got killed since I've started this coon hunting stuff, um, you know, since I've started this competition coon hunting stuff in two years, you know, and they both are twenty thousand dollar dogs, you yeah. know. So I've I've taken some hits for sure. So it'd be hard for me to think I had a hundred thousand dollar dog and then some gonna die. Yeah. Know? Oh, I so know. It'd be hard for me to hard for me to spend that money, but somebody will because yeah. he's he's a good dog. He's worth it for sure. Yeah. Well, Bronk, hey, I tell you what, man, we're closing in on an hour and a half here. I cannot thank you enough for joining me. This has been fantastic. I mean, it was informative. It was fun. It, it was this is this is a good time, and I appreciate you taking the time to sit down and, and join me today. Well, thank you for inviting me on, and uh, we'll do it again one day if you ever need anything else. Yeah, absolutely. We'll for sure have you on here because there will be some more uh, there'll be some more vet topics that come up that I'm going to need some help on, and and if it can help me, it can help yeah, somebody yeah. else too. So that's right. Well, I appreciate it. Yes, sir. All right, guys. Well, thank you once again for listening to this episode of the Deep and Lonely Podcast. We appreciate you guys taking time to sit down and listen to our podcast. Uh, you know, we do this to try and teach, teach, train, and learn um, to help out. We, we enjoy it. It's informative. It's fun. Uh, gives you guys some insight to the sport of competition coon hunting, and I think Bronk was a good example of that. So if you guys enjoy it, uh, you know, please follow us where, uh, wherever we're at, whether that's our social media pages, that's going to our online store, houndsmanxp.com, checking out some merchandise. We've got some hats, tumblers. Check out the new uh, Competition Extreme Dog Box we've just launched. That is a well-built box. It's different than any other box on the market. It might not look like it from the outside, but once you guys uh, stay tuned and check out some of these videos we're getting ready to drop on it, you will see it is built different than any other box on the market. I said, guys, uh, once again, thank you for listening to the Houndsman XP podcast, Deep and Lonely. Bronk, thank you so much, and uh, we'll see you guys on the next episode. You're welcome. Bye-bye.